Welcome, welcome to the 2024 second edition of Advantage Connors. I'm your host this week. This is Jimmy along with my co-host, Brett. I'm fresh from downtown Santa Barbara at Dargan's Restaurant having a great Irish dinner and shooting some pool. So good to be with you, son. I've had I've had a busy day and a, and a fun night. So looking uh, looking forward to some great conversation. What's on your mind? Hey, how are you? That sounds good. I uh, you know, I used to work the door at Dargan's when I was uh, quite a younger man, uh, checking IDs. <laughs> I didn't really check them too well, but uh, letting people in who wanted to come in and have a good time. Dargan's a good dude. Uh, sounds like you had some fun. Yeah, it was a good time. And, and uh, Paul, uh, Paul Dargan, who uh, owns the place, uh, you know, we've known for a long time. As you said, you've worked there and he's quite a golfer himself. So, you know, uh, shout out to him and uh, come on and get in the games. We miss you. Be fun to have him. Yep, that's right. I think he opened a uh, restaurant in Ventura, so he spends a lot of time down there, but would be good to get him back in the game. You know he'll put a little money on the line. So what's been going oh, on? Watch, <laughs> watch out. That doesn't sound bad. That sounds like fun. Nice. So what's going on? Everything good? I got uh, gold dude Isabella laying right next to me. I uh, I took her to the vet today, and uh, she had to get a couple a couple shots, you know, her her flu shot and her, I forget the other, lip, liptosis, I think, something like that shot and uh she handled it like a pro but one thing we noticed was she got weighed and Uh-oh. uh she's a she's a little 35 pounder yeah, a, she, little, a little on the chunky side i wouldn't say completely chunky but she's just gained a couple a couple lbs in the last calendar uh-huh. year so she's uh, we've been to the park right after got some exercise and we're gonna her dad needs to do the same thing so uh we're going to the park getting exercise and uh maybe watching Good. a little bit of what we eat but we're here ha- hanging out ready to talk a little bit uh what's going on how's everything up there well- well, uh, just to throw this out, we're going to have to get Isabella some Ozempic then, you know, if, uh, you know, get her out there and get her some exercise and a little Ozempic and, and she'll, uh, she'll be back in, in shape in no time. No time. So it'll be good. Maybe we could get a yeah. uh, sponsor, <coughs> Ozempic, yeah. out there and we could use some free, <laughs> yeah, shout out. Some, right. some, some free yeah. Uh, product. So yeah, I don't, don't have a lot of stuff I want to talk about tonight, but um, it's Australian Open. The draw just actually happened about an hour or two ago. We we're recording right. here Wednesday night. I don't want to go through the whole draw and everything, but um, did want to just get uh, actually to play on like last week, talk about 50 year anniversary. You won the Australian Open 1974. That was your first Grand Slam that you won, right? Right. Nine. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And so I saw a post, somebody put up a post that we follow. I think they're called, let me, let me check, make sure I get it right. I think it's Break the Deuce. Hmm. I haven't heard of that. What is that? Break the Deuce. They're on Instagram and we follow each other. They put out a little post talking about you, Borg, and Mac, about why you guys played such few Australian Opens. And, um, you know, we talked about you played twice, winning one, making the final of the other. Mac played, Mac played a few more. I think uh, 83 was his first. He played 83, 85, 89, 90, and 92. Kind of weird that he was mm. like taking, uh, you know, breaks between like a year off and then he'd come back. Uh, he played it the most. I don't think he started until after it went to hard court. I'm not 100% sure on that. But, um, yeah, just talk a little bit about when you won 1974. You beat Phil Dent in the finals, Taylor Dent's pops. Do you remember a lot yep. about that? Yeah. You know, going down to Australia was, uh, you know, uh, I, I hadn't uh, really, you know, left the country that much. And 
I did in, in 72. And uh, when I turned pro, I started moving a little bit and getting around and playing more. But, you know, going down to Australia and playing there and, uh, you know, it was it was 70, the end of 73. And the finals was New Year's Day, I think, in 74. So, you know, it was the first Grand Slam of the year. And, you know, going down on on uh, on the grass down there and, you know, the long trip. And, uh, you know, that was that was kind of foreign to me and the travel. But, uh, you know, it was a trip that I enjoyed because, you know, the, uh, Australia had a number of tournaments, uh, even though I didn't play the Australian that often, it still had a tournament in Sydney, the Sydney indoor that I played many times, which, uh, which I had uh, a great time playing. And, you know, so the trip down there was great and the fans were amazing. And, you know, they, they love their tennis. They, they love getting involved and rooting and, and, uh, you know, uh, getting into it. And, and they, they didn't mind, you know, tipping a glass while they were, uh, while they were watching the tennis. So that even got them more involved. So, you know, that kind of fit into my personality too, going down there. But the tournament, you know, was, uh, as, as I said many times before, was at a difficult time and, you know, in the, in the year. And uh, it came on Christmas and New Year's. And, you know, I needed some time off, you know, to kind of rest and heal. And, you know, so, you know, the success I had on the, the two times that I played, you know, not bad, uh, you know, uh, winning once and, and in the finals the other time. But, you know, it was it was a good tournament, and and by the way, what it has turned into is is nothing short of magnificent. Uh, you know what they've done, you know, in downtown Sydney and and I mean uh, Melbourne and uh, the facilities, and you mm-hmm. know the whole downtown with the hotels and the restaurants and everything that uh, you know that 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 event has turned into has really uh, shot them to the top of the list on tournaments that the great players want to play. Yeah, I really love Melbourne. I was lucky enough to work the Australian Open like three or four years for for ESPN about 10 years ago. And the city's awesome. I mean, going there, it's a a pleasure. You you stay, you know, 10 minute, 10 or 15 minute walk from the site. And uh, it's got the river and it's a lot of life because it's in the middle of their summer. Uh, Australia Day usually always happens in the second week of the tournament where they have the, the fireworks and it's like kind of their 4th of July. So yeah, it's fun. They got the Crown Casino. Which is where we really like to do. They got the used. They mm-hmm. used to have the Aussie Millions. I don't know if it still goes on at the same time. That big poker tournament. So right. we'd be that down was, there. Uh, that was that was fun being a part of that. Watching that when we were down there the a couple times. Uh, you know when yep. when, uh, when I was with Andy, which was a lot of fun. Yep, hanging with Phil Ivy a little bit in the old uh, mahogany room. I think that's what it was called, the mahogany room. <laughs> if you're remembering that, you got way too good a memory. <laughs> I had a lot of fun but, in there. So, uh, yeah, it's a good memory. But you're right. It, I think it moved to Melbourne in 1988, I think was the first year that uh, that it was there. It moved from Kuyung. And now they have that, that kind of lead-up special event. It's like an exhibition in Kuyung. But I think a lot of the reasons a lot of the guys didn't play is, like you said, there was a big tournament in Sydney in October – so like just two mm-hmm. months before. So then everyone would be expected to go all the way back down there. And then it's held over the holidays. And then I've heard a lot of talk about, you know, the facilities and the, the court itself wasn't in the best condition. And, and there was like, is this true rumors of flies, you know, the size of, uh, of your hand? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the size of 747s. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that's their summer also down there in, in, uh, you know, November, December, January. And, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's hot, but, you know, it's hot everywhere. And, but, uh, yeah, I mean, 
you know, the facilities weren't, you know, certainly weren't even close to what they are now. But, you know, shit, that was back in, you know, in the early 70s when things were were just kind of starting to take off and changes were starting to be made. And, you know, in a lot of tournaments, new tournaments coming and and they had, you know, the understanding, you know, what they had to do to, you know, to really, you know, make a facility that, you know, would warrant, a, you know, a tournament like that. And, you know, the, you know, when Australia caught on and, and uh, you know, made the move to do what they did with, uh, you know, creating the whole new facility, uh, leaving Kuyong and, and doing what they did was, uh, you know, really turned out great. And, you know, I, I never played there, and, and but, uh, you know, certainly would, would have been, uh, you know, if I would have been younger when they made that change and would have been able to play that event is also because they moved it later in January. So I would have had time off and would have been able to prepare to go down there. I said, it it probably, it would have been a pleasure to go down there. I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you think about the fact that you, Mac and Borg barely played it and it was on grass and all of you, I mean, you guys were pretty much taking all the grass tournaments there for a long period of time in the seventies. I have a, the conspiracy theorist in me thinks that, Hmm, if I'm Australian and a lot of my players are great players are from Australia and I want to place a tournament I'm going to place it during the holidays when maybe a lot of the other competition doesn't even want to travel back down there so that I have a better t- <laughs> well so that I have a better I, chance of winning the tournament. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean I I I don't know, you know, <laughs> Australia, you know, back then Brett, uh, Australia and the US were, you know, were the two powerhouses mm-hmm. in tennis. Uh, you know, tennis had was international at the time, but you know, certainly, you know, not not like it is now. I mean, it was more Australia in the in the US you know, fighting it out and, and, uh, you know, trying to, you know, be the best. And yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it was a difficult time and, and, you know, I I was happy. I went down there one at one time and, and, uh, you know, that was good. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was happy with that. And, you know, but back then, you know, the thoughts of the way you played was different. Mm -hmm. You know, the thought was every match, you know, you go and you play every match and every tournament and you give it everything you have. And, and each match is important, is, is, just as important as the finals of a Wimbledon or a U.S. Open. And, you know, that's all changed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the last number of years. It's become very Grand Slam oriented and, the you know, the thoughts of that. And, you know, if that would have been back then and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, I'd have taken three or four or five other tournaments off and, and gone down there more, <laughs> you know, but, right. but uh, you know, it didn't work out that way. And, you know, it, but but it did allow you know, a lot of guys, you know, to win that grand slam. I mean, Vilas won it twice on grass. Mm-hmm. Vitas got one, our boy. Vitas got one. Yeah. I think uh, Creek got two. In the same you know, calendar so, year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. You know, so it gave, it gave a lot of guys, Brian teacher one, I think down there mm-hmm. and, and a number of uh, Australians, you know, not the lesser known ones, not the Newcombs or Rosewalls or Emersons or Lavers, but some uh, one or two others had, had won it. So, you know, gave a lot of guys a chance to win a Grand Slam, which, uh, you know, at the end of it all, I guess, you know, you look back and just say they're Grand Slam champions, which is, uh, you know, which is pretty special. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's easy to look back now with a different mentality and and be like, rah, rah, rah. but like back then, the whole mindset was different and travel was different and, you know, all that stuff. So it's hard to look at. It's like tennis is like that with a lot of things. You know, when you're trying to compare eras is the technology and the, and the, all the different stuff that goes on that it, it makes looking backwards um, a tough thing to do sometimes. But uh, I, mean, I, got, I, I got no regrets, Bradder. 
uh, you know, about going down there, you know, and, and, you know, like I have no regrets of not playing the French for seven years. I don't have any regrets of that. You know, that's, that was my choice. I made those choice. And, you know, like I said, you know, I, I don't have any what ifs, you know, what if I'd have played them, you know, you know, and by the way, by the way, if I'm, if I'm what ifing at 71 years old, I got a problem. Mm-mm. I got a big problem. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad I don't have those. I just remember being down there when you coached Andy and we played fed in that semifinal match fed kind of never, that might be one of the best matches I've ever seen him play. He he played unbelievable. He kind of smoked us and, you know, we went home and, and showered up and we were all getting ready to meet in the mahogany room, you know, and we were going to go like blow off the steam of the week, you know, we, <laughs> so we all, we all went out and had dinner and then we went to the, you know, a club or a bar and we're, you know, we're out dancing and, and having a lot of fun. And, and I always remember that with Andy and, and his whole crew, his brother and everybody, uh, uh, having a lot of fun. Yeah, that was, that was fun. Yeah, I, I look back and, you know, the, the time that, uh, that I spent with him and trying to, you know, uh, help him with his game and, 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 you know, he had had success anyway. He was the U S open champion, but the time that I spent him uh, with him was, uh, was pretty special and, and, uh, and made a good friend in the meantime, which was even better. Yep. One cool little fact about that 1974 Australian open that I want to get your opinion on is you play doubles. Not many people know that, uh, you know, you played a lot of doubles, obviously, with Nastasi, with your two major wins and a lot of other tournaments with him. But in 74, you didn't play with Nasty. Who'd you play with? Yeah, I, I played uh, played with one of my uh, one of my great nemesis, uh, Bjorn Borg. <laughs> That's and, right. And, you know, yeah, which is, you know, kind of funny that, you know, we uh, we would kind of hook up and, you know, but... Even though I, you know, I played with Nasty and I played my exhibitions with Nasty and Bjorn played with Vetus and, you know, we were still friends. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, even though, you know, maybe, you know, because at Wimbledon, we, we, we sat back to back, you know, our lockers were back to back at the U.S. Open. We were in the same room. So it's not like we never saw each other and we weren't friends. But, you know, I, I think, you know, when, you know, looking back, we played doubles, uh, you know, to, because it was, you know, my first time down there. I think it was also his. And uh, we played, you know, uh, to get another match on the grass. And, you know, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I think we won a round. Yeah, (laughs) you did. I think you beat a Japanese team uh, in straight sets in the first round. It's a pretty interesting thought to think if you guys would have played more. You know, you're the lefty, he's the righty. You're both thought of as baseliners, but you're both also like amazing grass court players. It's just kind of Yeah, but we'd fit right in today if we both played back. Yeah, you're right. You, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of the, you know, the way the doubles is today. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, yep. you know, back back on the grass in, in those days, it was, you know, serve and volley, you know, you know get to the net as quick as you can. And, right. you know, because, uh, you know, the the courts weren't that great, you yeah, know, to be honest with you, the bounces for you. Yeah, we're, we're, the bounces were pretty difficult. So it was get in as quick as you can or take as many balls out of the air as you could. And, you know, but uh, yeah, we, you know, it was fun playing with him and, but I think after uh, I, uh, we lost in the second round, I think after that we looked at each other and said it was fun and that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> I have uh, a feeling you guys might have looked at each other after the first round and said that was fun. That's enough. <laughs> well, you're, you're here to play prob- the you're singles. You're probably right. <laughs> you're probably right. But so. uh, yeah, it was you know it was in, it was interesting uh, you know down there, Brett, and you know to make that trip and and you know now I see you know I, I could see at the time you know what it was like for for the Australian grace to, you know, to come over here and play. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for, you know, uh, a golfer like Gary player from South Africa, you know, for him to, to come and to travel the world and, you know, just, you know, the amount of hours, you, you know, they spend on an airplane and what that takes out of you, you know, and then what about Pancho Segura and, and, and guys like that who, who went down there and, and had, you know, went, you know, went by boat, <laughs> you know, right. so, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was amazing, you know, the, the lead up to, you know, what has made these tournaments great and, you know, what the, players at the time, the pros at the time, and, you know, the, you know, those who laid the, you know, the groundwork for the game to be what it is, what they had to go through to, you know, to really do that. And, you know, it, it was fun always talking to Poncho about that and what it took and, you know, what it meant to him and, you know, for him to leave Ecuador and, and to come over and, and to, to have tennis give him you know, his life and, and the travel and the meeting of the people and the success that he had, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was an amazing story. And, and, uh, it was always fun listening to him and, uh, uh and, you know, Pancho, he had a flair for telling stories and it was, it was pretty fun. Yep. Definitely. If anyone out there hasn't read it, read it, I have it sitting right here. His book's called little Pancho. So it's uh it's not a long book. It's a easy read with great stories. If anyone wants to get a taste, it's, uh, out there and available on Amazon, I'm sure. But before we wrap up, I just want to take you back to the run. When Andy made the semis, it's kind of an interesting little run he had. He played Sanga in the first round. This is 07. Sanga made mm-hmm. the finals in 08. Remember, Djokovic beat him for his first slam, beating Sanga in a good match when Sanga had that great run, broke on the scene. But a little bit early, Roddick gets a tough four-set win after losing the first set 20-18 to 18 in the first set tiebreak. He was able to bounce back, win the second set tiebreak, and then kind of rolled from there. Played Mark Jaquel, the Frenchman, in the second round, kind of easy straights. Then he played Safin. Do you remember this? A tough four-setter, 7-6 in the fourth. Right. Sweating yeah. that out. We're big Safin fans here, so that was that was a fun one to watch. And then he played Mario Ancic. Do you remember this guy from Croatia? Yeah, of course. He was really good, really tall, big serve, had to go five. Ancic won the fourth, seven, five, and then Roddick took it six, four in the fifth. I remember sweating that out and I had like gone to the bathroom uh, after a set. And then I came back and I sat in a different chair. Like I, I was on the left and then I had sat on the other side of the row and Roddick like broke immediately. And then everybody in the, in the box was like, you're not moving. You're staying in that chair the rest of the match. You know, little, little superstitions carried us a long way sometimes. Right. You know? And then he yeah. got uh, his, uh, his buddy, Marty fish in the quarters and then losing to fed in the semis. Fed would go on to beat Gonzalez, Fernando, big forehander in the, right. in the finals. So let's just move on to this year's. Australian Open. We don't have to stay long. I just want to talk some of the odds here, especially on the men's side. Oh, a little bit too. Nadal. Since we last talked, Mm. we kind of went through all the Nadal stuff. He ended up winning another match and then losing in three to Jordan Thompson. Looks like he, I don't know if it's a a new injury or an old injury, but had an injury in his leg, which forced him to pull out of the uh, remaining tournaments and Australian Open. I'm not sure when he's scheduled to play again, but did you see that? I did. I did see that. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly what happened and, and uh, you know, what the injury is. But I, I will say, you know, taking that amount of time off and being away from competition, you know, you can go and you can work hard and you can practice and you can do everything and try to simulate, you know, playing in a match. But there's nothing like that match play. Mm-hmm. Nothing like it. Uh, you know, be, you, you, you know, your, your nervous energy kicks in, uh, the way you move, the way you, 
you know, breathe the way you do everything, you know, in a match is, uh, is totally different. And, you know, and, and, you know, probably the effort that he was putting into it, you know, he would, when, when you're in a match, you, you're, you're going all out and you just kind of throw everything, you know, away and, and try to not think about injuries or, or what you've been through. And, you know, maybe that's what happened and, uh, you know, he paid the price for it, but, you know, that's a tough gig that he's, that he's been through the last year or so with being injured and being away and, and, you know, trying to get back and get healthy. And you wonder if he came back too soon, you know, who knows, Yeah, you know, who, who knows if it was too soon. And I guess there, there comes a point in time where you got to try it no matter what. Right. And give it a go. And I think you'd rather, I mean, if, if, if his, if everything is kind of pointed towards what we think like the French and, and maybe the Olympics in Paris, and at least the clay court season. I mean, you kind of got to get out there and get like at least a test, right? Kind of get like a barometer right. of where you stand after you've been out and training and rehabbing and doing all this stuff. And he said it in press. I don't know if it was after his second match or even after the third, but he was just like, you know, the goal wasn't to come down here and like win tournaments. You know, I mean, obviously he wants to win every match, but you know what he means. He's he's probably just testing it out and trying to figure out, you know, how the body's going to react to real match play. Yeah, I think he's just, I think, who knows? It might not even be that bad. He might just be like cautious to where he's like, look, I tweak something, you know, I'm going to bail, I'm going to go home and rehab it, and then I'll be back in March or something for Miami or Indian Wells. I don't know. Right. Well, uh, you know, with him out, you know, what the what's that do to Joker? Joker? I mean, uh, does that, that just open the door for him even more with the, uh, without yeah. having to work, without having to worry about Nadal? Or, yeah, or I, mean, I wonder I, if he's, so, you know, even thought about that or considered that, you know, because he's been out there grinding and playing and, you know, having success and, you know, tournament tough. And he understands just what that means. And and it'd be, be interesting to hear his thoughts if he even, you know, uh, would, would have considered Rafa, you know, you know a threat, mm -hmm. you know, you know, compared to, you know, the other guys, uh, Pass or the Zeros, Carlos. Uh, Carlos, right, and and what they have to offer as younger players. So, be interesting to hear his thoughts. I don't know if they talk about it much, but somebody should ask him. You know, you know, with Rafa out, you know, how does that change your thinking or your feeling, or or does it? Does right. it or did it even matter? I mean, I'm I'm sure anytime he's he's on the other side of the net, I'm sure he knows he's a threat. But I mean, uh, as far as maybe being ready to go five sets at a Grand Slam, like maybe I don't know if he was yet, but I mean, that doesn't mean he can't be later in the year. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for candidates isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million, that's a lot, of global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. That's what I like. Ditch the busy work, okay? I'm sick of it. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to all the other job sites. And that's according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it's my one-stop shop. I know I always say that, but it's true. Everything they have there is at your fingertips. It makes it easy, and it feels like a really personal connection to the people. It doesn't feel like it's just online. It really feels like you're getting special treatment. 
we don't have a lot of people working for us here at Advantage Connors, but we have hired people in the past to do things. And when we've done so, Indeed has been there to help us get it done. Indeed is always there to help Advantage Connors get whatever it needs when we're looking to hire new talent. We love using Indeed here on Advantage Connors when we need to hire anybody and anything for the podcast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. All right, guys, this is the best part. The listeners of Advantage Connors of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible. And all you got to do is go to indeed.com slash Connors. All right, I got to repeat it for you guys. Just go to indeed.com slash Connors right now and support our show, Advantage Connors, by saying you heard it here on our podcast. It helps us a lot. Indeed.com slash Connors. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you need to hire? Then you need Indeed. As far as the odds, 10-time Australian Open champion Novak Djokovic is the favorite at even money, even Steven, you can get him. Mm. Then you got, I'll just go down it here a little bit. You got Carlitos plus 325. Mm -hmm. Sinner, our guy Sinner, third favorite plus 650. Medvedev. Mm, how about that? Medvedev, nine to one. Then it kind of gets a little bigger. Then we got our guy Holger Runa, 22 to one. Zverev, 25 to one. Sitsi at 33 to one, which even though he hasn't been playing good, he's made the finals here and he's made the semis three other times. So it's almost like right. a little, he might be worth a little something. And then it brings you hedge opportunities later in the tournament, maybe. So Demon Hour, 50 to one. Demon Hour has been playing some of the best tennis of his life. He just beat Carlos in a in the warm-up uh, event. I mean, it's an exhibition, but he's still playing good. He beat Joker at the ATP Cup. He, he beat Zverev at the ATP Cup. He, he beat like three or four really good players in a row. He's 50 to 1. Shelton, quarterfinalist here last year, 50 to 1. And then it goes uh, Rude, 50 to 1. Demi, Demi, who won the last week beating our guy Runa in the final, he's 50 mm -hmm. to 1. What do you think? Any of those jump out to you? It's hard to bet against yeah. Joker when you got 10 of yeah, them. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, Runa has, uh, you know, started off the year playing pretty darn good. And, uh, you know, even though he he lost uh, to Dimitrov, you know, I, I liked his attitude and what he said, you know, when when he was on our podcast. And and going back and, and seeing that he did bring on board Boris Becker and, and uh, you know, kind of he's, he's a member of the team, I guess. I hope he's still a member of the team. Oh, yeah. And, uh you know, so, you know, it seems like he's doing all the right things to try to go to that next level, you know, but the the only way you can get to that next level is by winning, you know, but but he seems to understand what it takes to, you know, to try to get there and, and he's willing to do anything, mm -hmm. you know, to do that. So, you know, I liked his attitude, but, you know, but let's let's talk about Dimitrov a little bit. Uh, you know, he's, you know, kind of had a resurgence. Yeah. Big time. You know, lately. And, and I remember, you know, thinking, you know, uh, you know, when was he going to break through and when was, you know, his magic going to catch on and, you know, win some big tournaments in a grand slam or whatever, you know, may maybe he's just a late bloomer, mm -hmm. but, you, you know, it, it can happen. He's had success down under too before. I think he's made, I think he's made the semis there before I can look it up. Well, well, then, uh -huh. then, uh, you know, if, if, you know, if he's, if he's been there and he, and he, and he knows what it's like, 
to face that pressure and, and uh, understand what it takes to get there. But does he understand what it takes to make that next move to win it? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that that's, uh, you know, if he gets in there and, and he gets hot, he can. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to see him do it. Be interesting. Yeah, he's made the semis 2017 and he's made the quarters three other times. So, yeah, it just depends. Like, you know, Carlos... We don't know what we're going to see with him. Hopefully, he's he's healthy and ready to rock. Sinner being the third favorite's interesting. You feel like maybe that would have been Medvedev because Medvedev's won a slam. He's made the finals down right. here, I think, two times. But the way Sinner's been playing the last, you know, whatever, three, four months, it's hard to argue against it. But there's a lot of guys, you know, that, man, the men's side is, like, fun. It's a really fun time to bet on tennis, to watch tennis, to follow it. Because you have Joker at the top, who's, you know, this legend and all the things you can say about him. And then now you have all these other guys kind of trying to, like, grapple to be, like, who's next, you know? Who's the, who's the young guy who's going to take over or is going to challenge him? And, and you know, for the first time in a while, there's a there's a good amount of names there where you could say, hey, I could see him making, you know, the semis. You know, you could see Demi nice. making the semis yeah. or, you know, yeah. since years vera veruna you know i I hope it turns out like that because if it if it does it's going to be fun to watch yeah you you know where where there's good matches and tight matches and you know guys having to you know push themselves to the you know to the next level you know you know to the brink to come through and then snap your fingers and they got to be out on the court again the next day you know and and have to do it over again that's that would be fun to watch and you know the young guys and you know you know it's another year you know, with, uh, with Joker at the top, uh, you know, eventually the guys, they're going to get tired of it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, you know, but on the other hand, I like what Djokovic said, Brad, you know, he says, if they're not beating me, I'm staying. Yeah. I think. You know, so, you know, and, and, you know, for me, I get that. I, I get that. And I say, why not? Right. You know, and, and, uh, you know, because eventually age beats everybody. You know, but, but how cool is that to look back and say, you know, listen, I, I fought it. You know, I gave it everything I had, and, and there's only one thing that beat me, and that was age. Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. As far as the women, we can just take a quick look. Iga, of course, plus 220. Sabby, last year's champion, our girl, plus mm-hmm. 550 to repeat. I'm, I'm interested to see how she handles that. I saw her draw. It doesn't look crazy uh, up until she gets to the semis but there's a lot of girls i could see making a run and winning here i mean you got Iga sabby ribakina has been playing really good she's also mm-hmm. a plus 550 finalist here she uh you know played that good three-set match as runner-up to sabby coco goff coming off her u.s open title she also won in auckland she started off the year looking good and then the return of naomi osaka have you seen this just fresh fresh out the gate 14 to 1 they they put her so she's she's there with ahead of Pagula she's sixteen to one Jabor sixteen they got Mira Andreva up there twenty two to one the youngster she's a teenager just uh, kind of up and coming the last year or so she's she's a lot of fun mm-hmm. to watch anything there that stands out yeah I mean it, you know having having Osaka be what fourteen to one after taking that amount of time off and uh, you know I think she had a baby also right yep. not, yeah yep. so. You know, to come back after that, you're you're either going to be beyond eager or man, I, I I don't I have no idea what to think of that. Yeah, you know, and, and how to hand and how she's going to handle that, and you know, and, unless she took her time away and and you know fulfilled a lot of you know her thoughts, her inner thoughts, and what you know what was important to her, and and now she also finds out now how important tennis is to her. You know, so 
you know, she's very comfortable with, uh, with the baby and, and everything that that part of her life brings. And so she says now, you know, I'm, I'm going to get back and, and give it a, give it a go on something else I love. And that's the game of tennis. So be interesting to see, be fun to watch her play. Yeah. I mean, I think she has a free swing. I mean, I don't know if I, I'm betting on her, but you know, I don't think she's going in putting pressure on herself to win. I saw some interviews saying, you know, she has new perspective, obviously being a mother and, and taking the time away and all that stuff. I think it's just a fun story to have her back. You know, I think when she's in the mix and she's playing, it's just another good storyline and another player. I mean, she's won there twice, four-time Grand Slam champion. So, uh, yeah, you know, we'll just see. I think, you know, there's, a, there's no pressure on her to win right away. She can come back and kind of take her time, play herself back into shape. And, and you know, there's a lot of the hardcore tennis down the road where she can – you know, dominate. Yeah. Look to yeah. dominate. <laughs> yeah. But you know, she, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, things have happened since she's been away, uh, you know, new, new, young, fresh players mm-hmm. have come up to fulfill a lot of the spots. And, and, uh, so she's going to have to contend with that, which is, you know, you see where you're going to see where her game is in a hurry. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, she won Australia 19 and 21 us open in 18 and 20. So won a slam, for four years in a row. Yeah, that'll be fun. I mean, I think Sabby, she she looked free and, and like relaxed on the practice court. I saw some stuff online of her. So that'll be fun to watch all those players and, and just see where it all shakes out on both sides. Let me see. What was I going to talk about before we get to the question? We're going to take a question or two. Oh, the airplane door. Did oh, you see the United man. United Alaska Airlines story? I mean, how did you miss it? The set, the Max 737 planes getting grounded yeah. because a chunk of uh, of the Alaska Airlines plane door just flew off? Well, as if uh, uh, flying isn't tough enough anyway. <laughs> you know, now now the mental pressure, you know, of going and getting on a plane and having to, you know, to worry about things like that. Man, but, uh, you know, luckily, I don't think, uh, you know, they hadn't pressurized the cabin yet, which was a break. Oh, you know, wow. if, if that that would have been uh, disastrous, but I don't, I don't think not much damage to, you know, the people inside. I think, uh, you know, outside of, you know, mentally, you know, yeah. having to face that, that had to be brutal, but man, oh man, I, I, I don't know how I handle that. If, if that, <laughs> if that's me, I probably never get on a plane again. Right. I'm just like, that's you know? close enough. <laughs> how yeah. lucky yeah. that no, nobody yeah. was sitting in those seats, those like two seats. I don't think anyone happened to be sitting in them. And, uh, yeah. And the what a break. Uh, <laughs> yeah, lucky, lucky. And and I hope they are going over and checking, you know, all the other planes and making sure all the bolts are, you know, are, are good and tight and you know they fit and all that. I hope uh I hope they're going yeah. over that now. I'm sure they are. And and uh I think but that's you know, still that that's a little mental pressure to go through. I don't I don't know. That's brutal. Yeah. I mean I think they are. They're they grounded a lot of them and and they're finding a lot of them have like loose bolts and stuff that, that oh. you know needed to be checked. I read an article that kind of was explaining what's going on with a lot of stuff, it seems like, in the world. And for it to be going on in airlines is scary because you know, the threat of it going bad is, it's so, it's a catastrophe if it goes bad. Right. They were talking about how a lot of these companies used to be run by engineers, you know, especially things that like, you know, airplanes, you know, cars and stuff like that. A lot of the companies used to be run by engineers because they were the ones Mm -hmm. putting, you know, making the problem, creating it, figuring how to do it, and then making it work for the public, all that stuff. And then, you know, about 20 years ago or something, those people at the heads of these companies started getting replaced with like finance people, you know, people mm. who majored in business, 
you know, yeah, and worried about the bottom line, bottom line, and and, and yeah. all that stuff. And so then that started to create the culture of like stock buybacks. You know, all these companies when they get money, the extra money, they don't go and put it into like the workers, you know, or giving them a bonus, or you know, into even R and D. Sometimes they're just always buying their own stock so that they can kind of falsely inflate the stock price because a lot of these heads of the companies, their contracts, and they say that, you know, they don't get their money or a bonus unless the stock's at blank, you know, or they have a stock incentive, whatever it is, right? So it's getting run by finance bros instead of engineers. And so that's like why a lot of these things are starting to happen, they're saying, and, and, and it's not good. So that maybe we should veer back towards the old engineer type, huh? Well, uh, you know, it's like, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to, you know, a, a, a head of a major college in the in this country going in and playing the finals of Wimbledon for me. Right. right. You know, that that's just kind of a, you know, a, a comparison. You know, I mean, you you got to know what you're good at. And especially when you're dealing, you know, with other people's lives, you know, which is, you know, those that are buying tickets to, to get on that those airplanes and, you know, I I you know, flying is to a lot of people and, you know, me included is, you know, it's tense anyway to, Mm -hmm. to do that. And, you know, I, you know, I've flown since I've been, you know, pretty young and, and, uh, but, you know, I was never a good flyer, you know, I was, you know, always tense getting on the planes and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I liked it when, you know, when my feet were on the ground, but just another Mm -hmm. piece of pressure, you know, to, to have to face when you get on those planes and, you know, I hope they look after that and take care of it. Yeah. So, there yeah. we go. Yeah, it definitely, uh, it's weird, it's, especially when you realize how many times like the public has bailed out the airline industry. You know, like we have to keep that, that comes from tax money when they talk about like bailouts to the airlines, that's from us. And then you think, well, like, hey, if we're going to keep giving you money, like we should have some standards or you should be able to meet some sort of, you know, something for safety, right? <laughs> you feel like if the well, public I mean, is literally you, you, bailing yeah. you out. Well, from yeah, you think you think that's what they're doing anyway. You'd <laughs> you hope. know, they, they, yeah, we uh, yeah, we hope and and uh, hey, li- li- listen, to that you know, hopefully it's it's just <laughs> you know one and done. Yeah, uh, you know that that's the key. You yeah. know, hope it's one and done, and and you know they fix it and, and uh, you know kind of let the public know that uh, this has all been taken care of, and and uh, you know we're back in the air and looking after you. That's exactly. uh, that's the best part. Yeah, that's hopefully. The best. Fingers crossed, baby. Okay, let's go to. We got one good question. I think that uh, we'll end the night with Scott okay. Pugh. Scott Pugh said, "I think I remember sometimes you would bet a few bucks you could play right-handed and still beat good amateurs. Did that include serving righty? Do you think two-handed players should practice the off forehand? Well, I, I, I talk about, uh, you know, playing right-handed, and I did. I did play right-handed and and, uh, and didn't mind betting a few bucks either. <laughs> uh, and the reason, been here's the reason. I thought that playing right-handed against somebody that, that could, uh, you know, I wasn't going to go out and play you know, Borg or, you know, or Lindell or somebody like that. But, you know, I didn't mind playing some pretty good club players right-handed because it certainly helped my movement. You know, it made, it made me, you know, uh, move the right way, move quicker and also get in better shape. And, you know, it strengthened, you know, my, my back, more my backhand side, you know, right-handed my forehand, my normal forehand would would have been a, a backhand. So, but it, it strengthened my, my right side a little bit to, to help my backhand, even though I did, you know, play with two hands. So, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that. And especially, 
when we lived in Florida, you know, we'd go down uh, during the season when, when a lot of people were around, you know, the place where we were living in, uh, in North Miami, uh, it was a great place, you know, uh, you know, for those that, uh, you know, from Canada and South America, you know, good winter place to come and hang out. And there was some, some fun evenings going down and, and playing right-handed and, and, uh, <laughs> hanging out and, and, uh, you know, being a part of that, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I also knew when it was time to stop that, <laughs> you know, when, you know, I got a little older and, and, uh, I wasn't moving, you know, quite as well. I didn't have to push myself quite so hard. So it was time to bring out the frying pans and playing with a frying pan instead of playing right-handed. We'll get to that in a second, but do you think that, <laughs> do you think that there was like, there was benefits to it? I mean, obviously, you know, making money and, and, and hustling is a, is a side effect, but what, what did you see things that you'd be like, ah, oh, in the match or when you would play where you'd be like, I have to think about something differently or, or, you know, it's, you know, I started to use different muscles because I was reacting the other way. I don't know anything like that. No, I, I you know, uh, not, I didn't let that carry over, you know, in, into when I was playing a tournament or, or playing uh, big matches, you know, I, I, I did it more for, you know, for fun and, you know, for conditioning mm-hmm. was really the main reason. You know, it was uh, because it made me move quicker and, and, you know, I had to I had to really get in position and be able to hit it because, you know, I wasn't, you know, quite so strong on on that one side. That's, you know, like I said, that's one reason I did it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but I, I never let that carry over and have any thought about when I was, you know, playing, the, you know, playing big matches or, or whatever I was. I could, you know, go back to, you know, what I was good at and I was playing left-handed and, you know, and I, and I took advantage of that. Yeah. Well, speaking of the frying pan and hustling, did you, I saw, I sent you that video of, uh, of our boy, Jim Rome, giving you the shout out. Did you see that? I did see that. <laughs> that was awful nice. Yeah, yeah. That was fun to see. That was funny. Yeah. Uh, our, our boy, Jason Mora sent me the video. I didn't, I didn't actually catch it. He sent it. It was, it was funny to hear him say, but yeah, then you would start playing with like a frying pan or like even a trash can. Right. Like sometimes you take the trash can that was on the edge of the, of, you know, like the little generic green <laughs> trash can that everyone throws the balls in at the end. I'm, I'm going to get a lot of, in a lot of trouble, Brad, or there's going to be guys calling me, telling me they're playing me with a trash can or whatever. Now, uh, I, 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 Richie, you gotta go was, out there and play Richie with it. <laughs> oh, that, that was, it was pretty much fun. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. And, you know, sometimes I just needed to do something to kind of break it up. And to get away with, uh, from, you know, the, the normalcy of going in and just working hard and, you know, and grinding away on trying to get better with what I was good at, you know, and, and, you know, so to had do to something different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I had fun doing it and it was, was also good for me. It was good for my mind to, you know, kind of escape and, and uh, do something different. And yeah. So, uh, you know, trying to figure out something that, that, to do that because, you know, it's not, it's not like playing golf, right? Where you're, you know, walking 18 holes over what, you know, 250 acres or whatever it takes to, to build a golf course. And, you know, we're playing in, in, in the same lines and, you know, for every time. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the, sometimes the monotony of that was, uh, uh you know, needed yeah. to be broken up and, you know, and that just, uh, you know, gave me a chance to, you know, clear my mind a little bit and do something different. Yeah, I get that. Where it's the same thing over and over and over. And, and like with golf, it's a different hole every time, a different course every day. And, and, uh, yeah, it's different with tennis, even if it's a different stadium, it's still those same lines. Well, if nothing else, you playing with a frying pan might have saved one of our best friends ever life. Do you remember this? 
Mr. John Heller? I do. Mr. John, Mr. Mr. John Heller and you? Yeah, did, that's he, right. Didn't he bet you that he could beat you? If you put, was it a frying pan or a trash can? Yeah, it was a trash can. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, we were, yeah, you know, and, and you know, John wasn't, John, a, you know, a, John was a five zero player. He was a uh, photographer. He, he, he was our photographer yeah. friend who kind of became like a, like a, an uncle to us growing up. He spent a lot of time. He's from L.A. He's been or lived in L.A. He was from Kansas, and uh, spent a lot of time with us. But spent holidays with us and everything. Go ahead. Yeah, and and you know, uh, I I'd been on the road, and I came home, and and uh, your your mom and and uh, and I went. Uh, you know, we went. Your mom played a little tennis back then, also. So we we were at the Beverly Hills Tennis Club, and and he came down and wanted to come out and hit some with us. And and uh, he says, "Come on," he says, he says, "Let me hit some with you." He says, "You play with the trash can." <laughs> so I get the trash can out and you know and, and uh, play hit, hit a few balls back with it, and, and uh, we're, we were laughing so hard, Brett, that he had to go sit down. <laughs> and he sat down and and he grabbed the back of his head. And uh, he says, oh, my God, he says, you know, I, I got such a headache. I, I just, you know, I, I can't, you know, I can't move. And I said, you better have that checked out. You got a brain tumor. <laughs> and, you know, he thought I was kidding. And two days later, he went to the doctor and he had a brain tumor. <laughs> you just said it. You said it just like jokingly, right? I said it jokingly. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and uh, but uh, a couple of days later, he went and had it checked. And, and sure enough, he did. And he had it taken care of. And he was fine after that. But, you know, it was funny that, you know, how things happen. I mean, you know, who knows if, if he'd have let that go any longer, you know, what would have happened. But, uh, you know, it was because of having some fun like that and, you know, changing things up and, you know, trying to, you know, do something a little bit different that, uh, you know, it ended up helping him, which was great. I mean, not just a brain tumor. This thing was the size of a grapefruit, right? Well, it was at the base well, of, his, of, his, of his skull. Like almost attached to, I think his skull and like you know the top of the sp spinal cord, because wow. I think it was like huge. I mean, it, it was huge. Heller was a sickly person. He was a premature, super premature baby. Always had a lot of stuff going on with him. But yeah, that's a crazy story because uh, I mean, it, you know, probably saved his life or at least got an early uh, an early jump on getting rid of it. Right. Right. Yeah, but any, anyway, you know, it was fun to do something like that to, you know, kind of mix some things up and yeah, and have fun. a little fun in the meantime. And and uh, but another thing is, you know, what I was good at though, Bretter, you know, even though doing that, you know, I, I was good at you know turning that off and getting back, you know, down to business pretty good, and you know, knowing you know what I needed to do, you know, to to work in my game to be ready to play the the matches and and uh, you know that that was. I needed something for an escape, but when it when it came time to getting back down to work, I was good at that. And you know, like you know, that I think that's one reason I was able to play so long that I didn't mind that. I didn't mind going back and and, and being able to you know grind and and sacrifice and, and go through all that again. You could kind of flick it on and flick it off, you know, like when you watch yeah. old, di especially old, later, especially later. When I, you I was better, when yeah. you when you learn how to work the crowd. Like when you started interacting, you could interact with the crowd on these like big points and then just like lock in and play the next point. You know, I think it was almost a release for you, right? A little bit where like it's these tense moments, but if you can sit there and kind of laugh, you know, like how bad can it be? Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and, you know, another thing is brother, you know, uh, you know, I'd looked at a lot of guys who, who they were good at concentrating, you know, from the first ball whether it was two out of three or three out of five, whether it was two hours or five hours. And, but I couldn't do that. You know, I had to let me want, let me wonder, my mind wonder, 
you know, a little bit so that, you know, when, when the ball was in play and when, when it was time to get down to business, I could, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I didn't burn myself out. And, you know, like I said, I think that's one reason I was able, you know, to play so long was because I was, you know, able to, you know, to escape, you know, not only on the court while I was playing matches and, and you know, to to cut the, the tension a little bit, but also when, once I left the court or left the stadium, I didn't take tennis home with me. I would get in the car and, you know, by the, by the time I was halfway home, it was, it was over, you know, win or lose, it was over, mm-hmm. you know, which for me was the best part of it. Yep. That's good stuff, Pops. I'm going to uh, let you go. It's a little later here. Right. I, know, I know you had some fun. Shout out to Heller, John Heller, Uncle John, as we called him growing up, passed away in 2017. Uh, and we miss him and just yeah, wanted to tell, that, tell yeah. that story. He was a good friend. I mean, that was in the 80s, right? That was in like the 80s. He had the brain tumor and then, you know, ended up living this, you know, pretty long life, not long enough, but he, you know, he made it to 2017 and, and uh, had a lot of health issues, but we love him and miss him and think about him all the time. Yep. Exactly. You know what, Brett? Yeah, I want to shout out to our fans again and, and all those uh, that follow us at Advantage Counters. You guys are great. And, you know, always keep us posted on what's on your mind. You know, throw it into my Facebook and you got any questions and we'd love to answer them. But in the meantime, you can follow me at Jimmy Connors on Twitter, Brett underscore Connors on Twitter, at ADV Connors for nice. our podcast. Facebook, anything else? Mm-hmm. I think that's good. You can follow Gold Dude Isabella at Gold Dude Isabella on Instagram. She's sitting here with a big stretch. You ever seen that meme where, like, a, when a dog stretches in front of you, you can't not say big stretch? You know? No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Every time uh, I see her, I say, I love stretch. you, son. You take care of yourself. Give, uh, give the girls a hug and a kiss for us, and uh, we'll be seeing you soon. Sounds good. I love you. Uh, send all your first week Australian Open questions to us, and we'll get to them next week. Talk to you then. Peace. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.